Hello, welcome to our podcast, Carefully Examining the Text. And today's podcast is going to be our second podcast on Psalm 89. Today we're going to focus on Psalm 89, verses 19 through 37. The first 18 verses, which were dealt with in the last podcast, emphasized the greatness and the glory of God. Psalm 89, the last of the Psalms in book 3, moves from praise to lament. But it begins in verses 1 through 18 with praise for God, magnifying God. He is a God without equal, a God in control of all things. Particularly stressed was God's loving kindness and faithfulness. We stated that both of those key words, which are used in verse 1, loving kindness and faithfulness, the ESV has steadfast love in verse 1 and faithfulness. But these words are found seven times in the psalm, both of them. So the psalm begins with a picture of God's loving kindness and faithfulness, and it continues till the end. But verses 19 through 37 are particularly going to concentrate on God's loving kindness and God's faithfulness revealed in his promises to David. Let me read some of these words in verse 19. I'm reading from the New American Standard text. Once you spoke in vision to your godly ones and said, I have given help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found David my servant. With my holy oil I have anointed him. With whom my hand will be established, my arm also will strengthen him. The enemy will not deceive him, nor will the sons of wickedness afflict him. But I will crush his adversaries before him and strike those who hate him. My loving, my faithfulness and loving kindness will be with him, and in his name, in my name, his horn will be exalted. I will set, also set his hand on the sea, his right hand on the rivers. He will cry to me, You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. I also shall make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My loving kindness I will keep for him forever, and my covenant shall be confirmed to him. So I will establish his descendants forever, and his throne as the days of heaven. If his sons forsake my law and do not walk in my judgments, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will visit their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. I will break off my loving kindness from him. I will not break off my loving kindness from him, nor deal falsely in my faithfulness. My covenant I will not violate, nor will I alter the utterance of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His descendants shall endure forever, and his throne is the sun before me. It shall be established forever like the moon, and the witness in the sky is faithful. Salah.
I've often stated that Psalm 89 is very much like 2 Samuel 7. 2 Samuel 7 is a historical narrative where David's conscience bothers him because he lives in better quarters than the ark of God does, and he proposes building a temple. Nathan originally tells him, Go, do all that is within your heart. But that night the Lord speaks to Nathan in a vision, and Nathan relays that message to David. And God states, It is my prerogative to initiate who builds a house for my name. All the days that Israel was living in the wilderness, did I ever say to any of the tribes of Israel, build a house for my name? It's God's prerogative to initiate this. But David had wanted to build the Lord's house, and the Lord said, no. But God says, David, I'm going to build your house. And he says, after you die and you sleep with your fathers, I'm going to raise up your son after you. He will build a house for my name. I will be a father to him. He will be a son to me. If they commit iniquity, I will punish them with stripes, but I will not take my loving kindness away from him. Second Samuel 7 is a historical narrative. Psalm 89 is written in poetry, but both of them tell the same story. They tell the story of God's promises to David in 2 Samuel 7, especially in verses 1 through 17. Now, as we read through some of this today, we're going to point out parallels to the career of David in some of the words of this psalm, and also connections made with other psalms, royal psalms that deal with the king. First of all, I want you to see that the things that God has spoken to David are viewed indeed as his words. In verse 19, once you spoke in vision to your godly ones, God spoke to Samuel about David. God spoke to Nathan particularly in 2 Samuel 7 about David. He speaks in verse 34 about the utterance of his lips, God's words are God's words. They are ultimately not the words of Samuel, not the words of Nathan, but they are the words of God. But verse 19, once you spoke in vision to your godly ones, I have given help to one who is mighty. When David is introduced to Saul's house in 1 Samuel 16 and verse 18, he is described as a mighty warrior. Same word for mighty used here. God says in verse 19, I have exalted one chosen from my people. I have found David my servant. With my holy oil, I anointed him. In 2 Samuel 7, David's relationship to the Lord is spoken of as being the Lord's servant some 13 times in 2 Samuel 7. And so here I have found David, my servant. With my holy oil, I anointed him. David was anointed in 1 Samuel 16, 1-13 by Samuel. 
After the death of Saul, he's anointed by the people of Judah in 2 Samuel chapter 2 in verses 1 through 7. And then he's anointed over all Israel in 2 Samuel 5 in verses 1 through 5. With my holy oil, I anointed him. Ultimately, the one who anointed David king is God. In verse 21, God says, With whom my hand will be established, my arm will strengthen him. The reason that David was going to stand strong is because God would hold him up. It wasn't just because he was a mighty warrior. It was because of God being a mighty God. The word established used here in verse 21, that particular Hebrew word is used in 2 Samuel 7 in verse 12 in verse 13 in verse 16 of God establishing the house of David. But God's hand and arm strengthen him and will allow him, as verse 23 says, to crush his foes. In 2 Samuel 8, the Bible recounts the military victories of David, and it says the Lord helped him wherever he went. 2 Samuel 8, in verse 6, and in verse 14. The Bible tells us of this king from David's line, from David and the kings from his line. In verse 22, the enemy will not deceive him, nor the son's son of wickedness afflict him, but I will crush his adversaries before him and strike those who hate him. The word crush, which is used here in verse 23 in the New American Standard, was used of military defeats in Israel's history. In Numbers 14, in verse 45, in Deuteronomy 1, verse 44, but here it is used for military victories. The king is going to crush his foes. In verse 23, he's going to strike those who hate him. This particular word for strike is the word used for smiting the Egyptians. In Exodus 12, in verse 23, in Exodus 12, verse 27. My point is... These are words used for great victories in Israel's past, great defeats in Israel's past, but these are used here in Psalm 89 for the victories that God will give his king. Psalm 2 verses 8 and 9 has the same idea, ask of me and I will give the nations as your inheritance and the ends of the earth as your possession Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. In verse 24, these important words, faithfulness and loving kindness, are brought back up. They have been brought up since verse 1. They're mentioned in verse 24. Verse 28 will mention God's loving kindness. And verse 33, his loving kindness and his faithfulness. And it will be in the Lord's name that his horn will be exalted. Horn is a symbol of strength. Two animals may fight with their horns. David's strength is going to be 
from the hand of God, God will exalt him and God will lift him up. And notice verse 25 promises this king universal dominion. I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. Psalm 72 verses 8 through 11 speaks in a similar way of the king from David's line. Psalm 72 verses 8 through 11. Zechariah 9 verses 9 and 10 speaks these same kind of words. I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers and he will cry to me, You are my God. You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. I will make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. In 2 Samuel 7, in verse 14, I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. There was a father-son relationship between God and the king between God and David and God and the king from kings from David's line I will be a father to him he will be a son to me Psalm 2 verse 7 you are my son today I have begotten you so the king exercised universal dominion verse 25 in verse 26 the king had a father son relationship with God In verse 27, the king is described as my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth, my firstborn. Now, that is not to state something about birth order. We know David was the youngest of eight children. It is used to express preeminence. That's the way. The firstborn received a parental blessing a double parental blessing, according to Deuteronomy 21, verses 15 through 17. To be the firstborn, in verse 27, is defined by the next clause, the highest of the kings of the earth. And God says in verse 28, My loving kindness I will keep for him forever, and my covenant shall be confirmed to him. By the way, the word confirmed is a verb form of the same word for faithfulness used seven times in the psalm. The word faithfulness is used seven times. Here in verse 28, that same root is used as a verb. Be confirmed to him. In verse 29, I will establish his descendants forever, and his throne is the days of heaven. I think we also mentioned last time that in Psalm 89, the word forever is mentioned seven times. In 2 Samuel 7, interestingly, the word forever is also mentioned seven times. Verses 30 and 31 describe the possibility that David's descendants are unfaithful. And verse 32 tells us the consequence. In verse 30, And 31, you notice that both of those passages in most translations begin with the word if. If his sons forsake my law and do not walk in my judgments, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, if, if, then verse 32, then I will visit their transgressions with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. 
Now, both of these words for the rod and stripes are used in 2 Samuel 7 and verse 14. So again, many parallels between 2 Samuel 7 and Psalm 89 verses 19 through 37. But if his sons forsake my laws, if they do not walk in my judgments, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, God says, I will punish them. I will visit them with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. But in verse 33, I will not break off my loving kindness from him, nor deal falsely in my faithfulness. I will not break off my loving kindness. In 2 Samuel 7 and verse 15, God said the same thing. He would not break off his loving kindness from the house of David. When you look at the house of David, you see some of the disasters that some of these kings were. But you see that God kept his promise. This is a triumph of God's grace over man's rebellion. In spite of man's sins and man's wickedness, for which God punishes man, God doesn't give up on his promises. God doesn't give up on these people. I will not break off my loving kindness from him, nor deal falsely in my faithfulness. In verse 34, my covenant I will not violate, nor I alter the utterance of my lips. God is not going to change these promises to the house of David. God is going to remain true to them. There are points, like in the reign of Abijah in 1 Kings 15, or Abijah in 1 Kings 15, verses 1 through 8, that we read that God would have destroyed Israel had it not been for his promises to David. God is faithful to his word. God does what he says. And God says, once I have sworn in my holiness, I will not lie to David. His descendants shall endure forever his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established like the moon as a witness in the sky. Now, one of the things that's interesting to me is that many of the same type things that were said in praise to God in verses 1 through 18 are said in verses 19 through 37 of the position of the Davidic king. Let me illustrate. In verses 6 through 10 of Psalm 89, God is described as the greatest of all gods, a God without comparison. The king from David's line in Psalm 89, verses 26 and 27, is going to be the greatest of all kings, the highest of the kings of the earth. In verse 13, the Lord has a strong arm and a mighty hand. In Psalm 89, verse 21, his arm and his hand establish and support the king. In verse 17, God's favor exalts the people's horn. In verse 24, the king exalts the people's the, the God exalts the king's horns. 
In verse 9, God rules the swelling of the sea. But in verse 25, God will set his hand on the seas. And the loving kindness and truth that are the foundation of God's throne in verse 14 are ever present with the king in verse 24. Some of the same kinds of praise offered to God in verses 1 through 18 are stated to the king here. Now, in Psalm 89, in Psalm 89, verses 26 and 27, the descendants of David did not become the greatest of all the kings of the earth in Old Testament times. So this anticipates a Jesus to come. It anticipates him. And Hebrews 1, verse 6 calls Jesus the firstborn. Does that mean Jesus was created? I can understand how someone at first glance may say that. But you look at Scripture, and Jesus was in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, John 1, verse 1. In Revelation 5, in verse 13, every created thing is praising God on the throne and the Lamb. The point, Jesus is constantly put in the position of creator in Scripture and not the created. Firstborn does not imply the creation of Jesus. It implies his preeminence over all. Colossians 1, 15 through 17 and Colossians 1, 18 through 20. In verse 32, the Bible talks about God punishing the unfaithful Davidic king with stripes. And that is a word used in Isaiah 53, 8, when it says, For the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. Jesus endures the stroke due to the unfaithfulness of the people. Jesus fulfills Psalm 89. But we'll talk more about that, Lord willing, in the next podcast. What I simply try to do is to set forth Psalm 89 verses 19 through 37, to see the glorious promises of David. Now, I want to ask you this question, and this will help prepare your thoughts for our next podcast. Are the things that we read, are the things that we read about the king here in Psalm 89, 19 through 37, or the promises to David in Psalm 132, are those things, do they lead us to expect the history that we see in Samuel and Kings and Chronicles? Or would we expect from these Psalms the history of David and his descendants ruling on the throne of Judah? Would we expect it to be more glorious? Think about that question. And Lord willing, we'll deal with it next time. Till then, may the Lord bless you and keep you.